Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you again for this opportunity to be here with these folks. And I pray, Lord, that today the message will be very clear and helpful to them. Lord, we're not any big evangelists like Pastor Bachelor or Pastor Bradshaw, but you've given us an experience and you told us to go and share what great things you have done for us. And that's why we are here. And so we give you all the glory for any good that comes from these seminars. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Finding true freedom. Now, those of you who have the cup with a little bit of water, I want you to do this with it. I want you to put it in your hand like this. And then I want you to hold it out, extended like this. Don't bring it in. Hold it. That's it. You can do it like that. Hold it out extended, okay, until I tell you to put it down. Okay? Hold it down. You may, you may have somebody there close by that you might say, hey, help me out. They might see that your arm is drooping. You can go ahead and, and lift it up for just a little bit. Give them a little bit of support there. Okay? Are you ready? Let's go. Don't put it down. Hold it out. Okay, Portland, Oregon is where I grew up for the first nine years of my life. And Portland, Oregon is known as the Rose City. Did you know that? They have a, a rose garden that has over 7,700 roses with 550 different varieties. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, this is just a little taste of it, but these roses, and talk about fragrant. I mean, you can't walk through this rose garden, how are you guys doing, okay? Without getting some of that, that beautiful fragrance. And this is special, they have this festival every year in June, middle of June, when the roses are all in bloom, and hundreds of people come from all over the Northwest to Portland, Oregon for this rose festival. Portland is also one of the few cities that are privileged to be one of the ports of call for the U.S. Navy, the Coast Guard, and the Canadian Royal Navy. And so during this Rose Festival time, you'll see these frigates that come in here, and they park their, they park their vessels right there on the Willamette River. And that's where the, the, um, the boardwalk right there, you see to the left of number 41, and beyond that, they have a, uh, like a amusement park with all kinds of rides, and they have wonderful things, and people just love to go down there. There's a huge parade that happens, and that's where I was introduced to the Rose Festivals when my mom took us kids down there to watch the parade. Well, my mother, when she was 16, she and her friend felt it was their civil duty to go down to these ships and kiss the sailors goodbye when they would depart. And when one sailor kind of captured her eye. He was handsome, he had blue eyes and freckles and auburn hair, and he came from Arkansas, so he had that real strong accent. And for her, she just was taken by him. And they formed a relationship and they were married. This is my dad and my mom on their wedding day. Now, I don't know what happened with their relationship, but they didn't stay together. They were divorced when my mother was pregnant with me. I had an older brother. He knew about him, but he didn't know about me. This is Danny and Jody back in the olden days. Now, I'm not just giving you a, a vacation slideshow here. This is part of my program, okay? So I hope you'll bear with me. Danny was about 18 months older than I, and we, we reacted differently to the absence of our father. Danny turned, in, you know, in his early teens, like 12, 13, and 14, he started experimenting with tobacco. Then was pot. And then was the harder things. And he, was, he became an alcoholic and a drug addict. I reacted differently. I didn't do those things. But all of my insecurities were inside. 
I was an internal mess. Danny was an external internal mess, if that's possible. This is Danny and his daughter, Risa, in 1997. We were in the Dominican Republic, and I received a telephone call from the US. <laughs> so I ran to the office where the phone was, and it was my younger brother, Frank. He says, Jody, Danny's dead. And I thought, what happened? Well, he overdosed. Ironically, my mother lived on this second street, and then there was a hotel right across the street from where she was, and she saw the police cars, and she saw a, a hearse there, and she was wondering what was going on, and then pretty soon the police knocked on her door. That was her son. He overdosed. They found him with a needle in his arm, face down, and they said the alcohol content was greater in his system than the heroin that he shot in his veins. But the combination took his life, left him with a daughter. And in kind of within that same framework, my, I found out that my biological father had died of mesothelioma. And he started this wrongful death lawsuit. Keep going, Helen. Like this. A wrongful death lawsuit against different companies because he worked in the shipyards, right? And so um, my brother and I were recipients of that, but that meant that we also had to make connection with some family members. My first family member that I met was my, my Aunt Vernell. Now, I spoke with her on the phone, and she invited me to come and meet her. And she was living in Arkansas. So I flew out there to meet her. And that's <laughs> interesting, because when I met her, she's, she's kind of a short, stocky, very stocky woman and tough. She was a prison guard in, in a, a prison there in Arkansas. And so she has this real thick, southern drawl when she met me at the airport and she says, hi, baby, how are you? And so, you know, I'm like, oh. And then we were walking, she says, are you hungry? <laughs> I said, yes, I'm hungry. She says, well, now my brother had gone before me and he blasted to the whole family that I'm a vegetarian and I won't eat this and I won't drink that. And so she's all freaked out wondering how she's going to feed me. So she says this, well, you're a vegetarian? I said, yes. Uh, you ever eat catfish? And I said, no, I've never had catfish. She says, well, that ain't meat, and so you're going to eat some today. So she took me to this restaurant and ordered me a catfish. It comes in on this, well, <laughs> exaggerate, a piece of, you know, this catfish with a potato and everything. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, help me. But this was my, my aunt for now. And she took me to meet my grandmother. These are my paternal grandparents. They called them Mamaw and Pawpaw, or Papaw, okay? Well, my Aunt Vernell told me that my Mamaw had dementia, severely dementia or Alzheimer's. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there were days that she didn't know her daughter. So we walked into this nursing home, and I looked on the bed was this tiny little frail lady. I mean, she was just teeny tiny. So we walk in and Vernell says, Mama, she turned her head, she says, this here's Buddy's girl. Okay. So my, my mama just kind of got off her bed and she shuffled over to where I was standing with my aunt Vernell. And she took my hand in hers and she's just stroking my hands like this and looking. Have you ever seen someone just look and scour a face? Well, that's what she did. She looked at my face and she had some tears well up and she says, Oh, Nellie, this is Buddy's girl. This is Buddy's girl. And she was just, and we all had this wonderful cry. And my Aunt Vernell told me she has been waiting all these years to meet her grandchildren. Can you imagine grandmas and, and papas? What it would be like to know you have grandchildren, but you're not given the privilege to meet them. 
Well, I heard that Buddy didn't want anything to do with us. And growing up, I kind of wondered, why? Anybody been there? Why? I didn't do anything. So there's this kind of a twinge in my life. Um, I don't belong in my life. My daddy didn't want me in my life. Growing up. I met Randy. Randy is my half-brother. I mean, what's that anyway, right? Randy and I share the same father. We have different mothers. You understand that? I made a phone call to Randy. Randy lives in Texas, and everything's bigger in Texas, and so is Randy. <laughs> and his wife, Laura. <laughs> but um, I called, and I introduced myself as, hello, I'm just like nervous. Hello, I'm Jody, and I am Earl Deweese's daughter. And this is his response. I don't like surprises. And you and your brother are surprised. I'll let you know when I'm ready. Clack. Yeah. Back in 1991, I began a people search. You know, that's back when you can do this people search. I went to the library, okay? The library and pulled out all, they had these big volumes of the uh, phone books. I looked in the phone books under Deweese, 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 and called all these Deweeses I thought might have been related, none of them. So I just kind of gave up. But think about Randy and the surprise that he had, that he had siblings out there, that his dad kept this from him. And he just wasn't real happy. This is his son, Christopher. Dad number two. Okay, so I told you about dad number two. Dad number two is the one in the wheelchair. He was abusive to my mother. I mentioned this yesterday. Kicked her down a flight of stairs. He beat her. And um, ironically, they remained friends. <laughs> but this is my brother, Ray. This is Ralph's wife. I used to call him Papa. So he was like my first introduction to a dad, an abusive dad. This is Vicky, a sister. Vicky. And my brother Ray, the one you saw in the picture, shared the same father and mother. Okay, so they're full siblings. But because of the abuse, my mother adopted her out at birth because she couldn't handle. She had two little ones at home, and then she came, Vicky came along. But I met Vicky back in 19, I mean, this is like a soap opera. I met Vicky back in 1995 when she called. Ralph actually called my mother and said, guess what? I got a phone call from that girl. What girl? Well, the one we gave away. <laughs> and she wants to meet us. Is that all right with you if I give her your phone number? And my mother was like, oh, you know, can you imagine? So we met Vicky. And what a, you know, what a privilege it was for my mother to meet this baby. That We didn't know. We didn't know until 1995 what she had done. She kept all that bottled up inside. And when they met, she just cried and cried, and I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, my life has been kind of a mess. Well, this is dad number three right here. Dad number three was actually good to us. He provided well for our needs. He was kind to us, but he was greedy. This is my stepbrother, Paul. Paul is Paul's son. We don't share the same mother. <clears throat> I was about eight years old, almost eight years old, watching the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday night when there was a knock at the door. And I went to open the door. That's when kids could safely go and open the door back in the 1950s, or maybe it was early 60s. But um, I opened the door, and there's a gentleman standing there, and he says, is your daddy home? And I said, yes, he's home. Well, my Paul and his friend Billy were sitting in the kitchen, and they looked around the wall to see who's asking for him. And the man at the door saw him, and he burst through, and he held out this badge, and he said, FBI, we want to talk to you. And so they come running in the front door and knocking kids over and people coming through the back door. My dad and his friend are running down the hall, diving under beds, <laughs> being pulled out, handcuffed, and marched out. 
And then some, some other people <laughs> come in and they take us children out to a waiting car. We saw them handcuff my mother, who was very pregnant with my youngest brother, and took her out to a waiting car. We were placed in this, I don't know, place for three days and three nights, forever, while they cleared my mother. It wasn't like a loving foster home that children are taken to, you understand. It was more like a, a convent or an orphanage type of a place. My younger brother, Ray, and I were separated. Ray was about six, I think, and we're just clutching. I remember sitting in the, in the car crying, and Ray is crying, and we don't understand what's happening. And they're taking my mommy away, and they're taking us somewhere, scared to death. We get to this big house, and they pull us apart, and they take Ray to one place, they take me here, and there's this barred door that closes, and Ray broke through, and he came to the doors, and he's, Sissy, Sissy! You understand? Not fun. Paul spent the next 20-some years in Walla Walla Penitentiary. He and Billy Carter held up three federal savings and loan corporations in Portland over a weekend spree. And um, so dad number three is out of our life. We have no dad. So I grew up without a dad, without a father, until dad number four came along. My mom, being a single mom, had to work. She, only, she didn't have an education. She quit school when she was in the eighth grade. So the only thing she could do is serve drinks in a bar so that she could be home with her kids. So she met dad number four in a bar. And they um, made it. <laughs> um, well, I don't want to cry. <laughs> but he's my dad. He's my dad. It takes more than blood and semen to be a parent. A parent is the one who takes you. This man took a woman with four kids, never having a child of his own. And we were almost teenagers. And we weren't very nice to him. Because we wondered whether he was going to stick around too. You understand? He's my dad. It was later, much later in my life, when scriptures would become very precious to me. And these are some that the Lord implanted in my brain. You know, he's going to, the Lord is going to give you his word that is tailor-made for your life. And these are some. It says, before you were born, I knew you and called you by your name. You are mine. But I'm going to ask him, why in the world did he select Jody? I mean, couldn't I have had a pretty name like Crystal or something? <laughs> Psalm 27, 10 and John 16, 27. When my father forsakes me, then the Lord will take care of me, for the father himself loves me. And then 2 Corinthians 6, 18. I will be a father to you, and you will be my daughter, says the Lord Almighty. You see, it's like this. I came to understand that before I was even born, the Lord had his hand over me. The Lord had a plan for my life, and he was going to work it out. So even when I was born, he says, I, I'm going to keep you. I've got something special for you. And he does that with each of us. You may have gone through something similar, and you may feel like you're not very special, but you are. Because he said, I have called you by your name. You are mine. My mom did the very best she could being a single mom. Back in the day when they didn't have food stamps, and they didn't have the Medicaid program, she did the best she could. And I love her for that. It was a hard life. It was a hard life for her. And I, I, don't, I don't hold any any bitterness against her for, the, for that. However, for those dads, something else was in there. I always wanted to be pretty. I, um, 
my, my mom used to cut my hair like this. I, some of you may, under, may recognize this term, the Dutch boy. Oh, yeah. Straight bangs, straight. And my hair was always very straight, so I always went like that. I had to wear those silly stretch pants that had the stirrup underneath. And I didn't have a waist because I was so skinny and those things kept falling down. So all during school, I have to wear clunky shoes and stretch pants that I can't keep up. And my hair is straight and stringy. And, you know, didn't have much confidence. So I'd hide behind a mask. Have you ever hid behind a mask? It's like this mask can hide a lot of things. But where is it? It's here. It's all there. I was called Dumb Deweese in school because I was skinny and I was clumsy. And um, <laughs> the kids just, that's just how they were. And that's how they are today. And I am so an advocate for kids who are bullied. It's just wrong, very wrong. But anyway, I was called Dumb Deweese. I didn't have friends, kind of a loner. Do you remember when you'd, you'd um, split up and at recess? I hated recess. So they'd have all the kids line up against the, everybody has to play this game. It's PE outside and recess. And so you all lined up, and then they picked the two biggest, strongest boys to be the captains of the team. And they're picking, and they're picking, and they're picking, and they're picking. And guess who was usually the last one? And there was a song that I that kind of really, I'm not going to sing it, but it says, down in the schoolyard they were picking out sides or choosing up sides. And one girl stood there with tears in her eyes. She'd been there before and somehow she knew she'd still be standing when the choosing was through. But from up in the heavens the father looked down and he saw what happened down there on the ground. And the angels rejoiced when he said to his son, watch what we do with that one. Because you see, the last to be chosen are the first he will call. And what he does through them will amaze one and all. It's not the hero who carries the ball. The last to be chosen are the first he will call. In this one recess, we were playing kickball, and I hated kickball. And they always stuck me way out there, and big old fat Timmy gets up, and when fat Timmy gets up, he kicks the ball, and it sails clear out there, and I knew it was going to come out there, and I was going to miss it, and they were going to be all mad at me. So I'm standing there waiting for big fat Timmy to kick the ball. And sure enough, everybody's, okay, everybody, get back, get back. Timmy's up. So I get back, and he comes, and he just sails that ball, boom out there and it's coming and they're calling Deweese, Deweese, catch it! And it comes and I hold my arms out and boom! I caught it! The ball was right there! And everybody's going, yay! Dumb Deweese caught the ball! So I was like the hero for a few minutes, that's all. We had to, you know, and then I was back to being Dumb Deweese. I wasn't raised in a Christian home or a church-going home. You guys still doing okay? You only got a little bit, little bit long to go. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Okay. I wasn't raised in a church-going family. Like Jed, the name of God was a swear word. But my grandma Peggy, right here, this is the mother to dad number three, Paul, who was in prison. She was a Seventh-day Adventist. She took us to Sabbath school. When I was about six, my mother took us to that drive-in. We got to see the greatest story ever told about the life of Jesus. I can remember sitting in the, and this is when we had station wagons, and we were all in our pajamas, and I'm sitting in the back seat looking over like this, and um, just crying my eyes out when they're crucifying Jesus. They beat him. They put those crowns on his head. And I asked my mom, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? And she said, because of sin. I did not know what sin was. But it must have been something pretty awful to do that to somebody who was as good and kind as Jesus was. So I just never got a clear answer why. It was later when I'd find out. 
But Grandma Peggy made arrangements. This is my baby brother, Frank. Frank has Paul for his dad. She took us to Sabbath school, and she made arrangements for a Bible worker to come to our house and give us Bible studies as a family. And he'd bring his projector, film projector, and show the pictures on the wall. I told you that yesterday. And we were all baptized as a family into the Seventh-day Adventist Church in 1969. Yep. We were established in 1969 as a family. This is my older brother, Danny. He was not baptized with us, and Frank was too young then to be baptized. But I had a Sabbath school teacher, Ken Money. Anybody here a youth Sabbath school teacher? You've been one before? Very important job. Let me tell you, those Sabbath school teachers, if you're anything like Ken Money, you will save a soul in the kingdom. Ken Money told us in class, he'd say, and I thought he was off the wall, the closer you come to Jesus, the things that you now love, you will hate. Those things that you now hate, you will love. You know what he's talking about, right? I used to think you're crazy. I wasn't a bad girl, you know, those bad girls. I just loved dancing and I loved the music and I loved all this fashion and trying to make myself beautiful. Those aren't bad things, right? Well, he, used to, he told us that. And I thought, nah. It's never going to happen. But when I quit going to Sabbath school, guess who would come and see me every now and then? My Sabbath school teacher, Ken Money. He'd come and invite me to the socials when the, the academy students were home. I didn't go away to academy. Oh, thanks. But he'd always say this when he'd leave my house. Jody, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I was wondering, why? Why bother? Well, I needed love. And when I was 19, I went to a Heritage Singers concert in Yakima, Washington. A friend invited me. And as I'm sitting there, now I'll tell you, music will do something to my heart more than any sermon. And I love Pastor Bohr and I love Pastor Bradshaw and their messages are absolutely wonderful. But a song is going to is going to really hit those. Remember I talked about the answering chord within? So they're up there and they're singing this song. Someone is praying for you. When, you. when it seems you're all alone and your heart will break in two, remember, someone is praying for you. And they gave an invitation for those of you who want to accept Jesus to come forward. Guess whose voice and face I saw in my mind? My Sabbath school teacher, Ken Money. And so I thought, wow, he's been praying for me. And so I responded to that call, and I went forward. And from that point, from 19 on, Jesus had my heart. And I let him work in my life to transform me. We were talking about this transformation that happens. But it was, Heritage Singers did it. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 105. The first step in coming to God is to know and believe the love he has for you. For it is through the drawing of this love that we are led to come to him. What did I need? I needed love. Nothing else was going to draw me to Christ other than love. I told you that, that he works. He has a tailor-made program just for you. I put these verses together to make it kind of a sentence for myself. It says this. Don't base your value by the many friends you have. Friends can disappoint you. Think of how precious you are to me. I have called you my friend. You can do all things because I give you strength. Look, every tear you have ever shed, everything that has happened in your life is written in my book. Like a big brother, I will take care of the ones who have hurt you. And this one, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. What kind of a future does a little girl have when her fathers reject her? Not a very good one, not a very positive one. But yet God says, I have a plan for you. I'm going to give you a future and I'll give you a hope. See, I did not realize it. I just thought this was normal life, okay? 
A dad comes in your life and he's out of your life. A comes in your life and he's out of your life. I remember going to the park with my aunt and uncle. I had to go spend the whole month with them down in California, and I hated it. I wanted to be with my mom, but no, she couldn't handle all four kids out of school. So Uncle Jim and Aunt Ginny get Jody. They loved me. And so I can remember laying out. I had been crying and laying out on the grass, looking up, and there's an airplane that's going across. I thought, oh, I wish I could just jump up and get on that airplane. I'd just hold on to the wing if it would just take me home. And then we'd go to the park, and I'd see a mom and a dad with their kids, and there's a dad pushing on the swing, right? Back and forth, and giggles. And I'm thinking, I'm missing something here. Something ain't right with this picture. Isn't right with this picture. It's being recorded. But I found out some things, and all this came later in life after I gave my heart to him. Number one, I am secure in him. Isaiah 49, 16, and John 10, 28. I have a question. Okay, my, my, daughter, my youngest daughter, she didn't have a mother in her life. So is that basically the same thing as not having a father in her life? The question was, his daughter did not have a mother in her life, and he's wondering if it's the same thing. Yes, it is. The absentee parent. Any type of rejection like that affects the child. And the sad thing is, she's trying to get back in her life now. Yeah. I didn't have that opportunity. I tried in 1991 to get back into my father's life or to enter it, but I didn't find him. I have great value. The Lord told me these things. You have value. You don't need to compare yourself with others. Matthew 6, 26. That I am his friend. John 15, 15. That I am complete in him. This is so important because you feel like part of your, part of your life is out there or, you know, there's, there's something missing. You guys only have a few more minutes here. <laughs> and I am holy and without blame before him. Ephesians 1.4. How long have you been holding that? Almost, yeah, about a half hour. 30 minutes. And this one, Romans 8.37. I am more than conqueror through him who loves me. And then here, the events in early childhood affect who we become as adults. But we don't have to stay that way. Now, I'm talking about my childhood, but there can be things in your life right now that are affecting who you become. Things that you're holding on to, that, that pain that, you've, that you're experiencing right now, and you're going to feel bad about me when you're done. Jonah 4.9, the Lord asked, do you have a reason to be angry? Let me ask you, did, do I have a reason to be upset with those dads of mine? Yeah. You think so? I have a reason to just like go in his face and say, why didn't you care about me? Why was that bank or that federal savings and loan more important than me? What happened between you and my mother that made it so you didn't want any part of our lives? I'll tell you, those questions have been in my mind. Now, I did not grow up bitter. I did not grow up bitter about them. But as I became an adult and I started wondering about this, and just this last year, more pieces of my puzzle were put together. I found out things that just kind of, kind of made me like, you know, tighten my fist a little bit. It's not fair. It's not fair. But that's what this seminar is about today. We worked in a foster care system with teenage girls, and these teenage girls had been abused and battered and rejected. They had no home. They were homeless, so they lived here. We did not live there. We came... It was a foster home facility, not a home, okay? These girls were angry, and rightly so. They were angry. They did not trust anyone. They just, you know, they have to protect themselves. That's where, you be, that's where you end up, into self. So these therapists would come in. Anybody here a therapist? Okay. Mental health therapist? Oh, good. Now I can say this. 
But there was this one counselor, and she was, she had her, I don't know if she had her PhD yet, but I'd sit in on these therapy sessions, and they would make these girls relive their pain. And I was thinking, that doesn't seem right. I don't want to relive all my pain. So I asked her one time, I said, is that really helping them? to relive their pain, she says, yes, they need to identify those spots in their heart in order to, to go on. I said, can they go on with life when they do that? No, they'll never be able to live a normal life. They will always need counseling. And I thought to myself, I disagree with that because God's word says that this one thing, and that's down the line, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth for what is ahead. Philippians 3.13. Psalm 38.4. My guilt or my bitterness has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Some people carry their burden of bitterness until the day they die. This seminar is about finding true freedom, about letting it go. Can you say this? Let it go, let it go, let it go. Do it one more time. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Okay? Because it's going to be too heavy for you to bear. And you're experiencing that, aren't you? Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. The cup gets heavier the longer you hold it. You might as well put it down and get relief, right? Now, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Now, I... I I heard a response from you guys as you let it down. Oh, like relief, okay? How many of you were supporting someone? Raise your hand. Now, you don't realize it, but you were supporting that person's bitterness. Do you know that? You were helping them hold it. Is it true that there are people like that who sympathize with you and encourage you in your bitterness. Talk. He said, man, I'm just so angry at my dad because he did this, or my husband did that. And you go, oh, you poor thing. I am with you 100%, sister. You know what I mean? She's not helping me in my bitterness. She is not helping me get over it. She's not helping me let it go. Hebrews 12, 14, and here is the root of the problem. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, just in your own heart, are you going to be able to determine whether or not you have allowed a bitter root to grow? Okay. I don't know that, but I have chosen not to allow that root to grow in my heart. And you have to decide that too. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health. Did you know that? Lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety depression, and stress. Guess where I got this slide from? Stress management seminars. <laughs> it's true. We don't think about it. We think we're justified in our anger. But what is it doing to me? Chronic anger puts you into a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Your anger acts as if you are continually secreting that Hormone that helps you reduce your stress. You know what that hormone is? Cortisone. Adrenaline. It keeps you going, going, going. Keeps that heart working. Keeps your blood pressure elevated. 
We don't, we don't realize that, do we? Because we don't feel it until we're mad. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. And this is by Dr. Karen Schwartz from John Hopkins Hospital. She had an article on the positive effects of forgiveness and health. This is my mother, and this is Charlie, my grandson. My mother was so... She so hated dad number three. She wouldn't tell me why, but she just hated him. Deep-seated hate for this man. She'd call him the Orlando man. Okay? Well, when the Orlando man died, his wife asked my baby brother, Frank, if I would mind if they included my name as a stepdaughter in his obituary. So I said, well, I was at one time. I mean, is it going to make her feel better? And Frank said, yeah, it would, make, it would bring her comfort. And I said, well, I don't have a problem with that. It wasn't my fault that she married that man and brought him into our lives, was it? It wasn't my fault that dad number two beat her up, was it? And so when she read the obituary, oh my, she disowned me. She rewrote her own obituary, disclaiming me as a daughter. I'm serious. I found out about it later. My brother told me because he was a pressman and he was going to print it. He says, I have to tell you something so you're not shocked. And I'll tell you, it was like this knife that just didn't stab me, but just cut me in half and then half again, and then the little pieces. That her anger, her hatred, led her to that level. What did the scriptures say when you allow a root of bitterness to grow? It causes trouble. So I didn't say anything to her about it, but I just kind of kept that internalized. I had to think about it for a while. I, uh, go back, I went to um, Washington and spent a month with my mother. Well, her health had been failing rapidly. Guess what she had? What were her health problems? What do you think? Heart disease, right? High blood pressure. She was in, they were going to put some stents into her heart. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking, I don't want to get you the idea that I'm belittling my mother, but I'm using her as an example. They put some stents in her heart. They, ha they couldn't do it because her blood pressure was 219 over 180 right there in the hospital. Of course, she was nervous, worried about it. She did not know that I knew what she had done. So I'm standing there by her bedside, and I'm thinking about what she did, and I, I even questioned myself. Well, I went out and asked my dad. I said, Dad, I have to ask you something. Did Mom do this? And he said, yes, she did. So now it comes time for the procedure, and I have to stand with my mother beside her bed and, and kind of keep her calm. It's like, why am I here? Why am I here? But it's like grace. Grace. When she started to cry, just instant, I was there. It's going to be okay, Mom. You're going to be okay, Mom. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Grace stepped between self and compassion. I spent a month. With her in July. And my aunt told me this. This is recorded. She says. It won't be long. So, and this was the Lord speaking through her. She said, if there's anything in your heart, anything in your heart, you make it right with her. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's something in my heart, but it's not my problem. It's her problem, not mine. Is that true? 
It was my problem because a bitter root had started to grow. So I wrestled with that, I'll tell you. I, how can I go to her? I don't have anything to apologize for or to ask her forgiveness for. So one afternoon I was driving around. I saw this florist shop that my mother always went to. Okay, now I'm under, I'm under control. And I went in there and I said, I need, I need a, um, a bouquet for Bonnie Ryder. Oh, Bonnie Ryder, such a wonderful, sweet woman. I'm thinking, <laughs> I need this bouquet. <laughs> and she was. She was a wonderful mother. She was. I loved her. She was my best friend. So I take this bouquet and I'm, just dry, I'm still just driving around because I don't know what to say. And I walked in the house and I put this bouquet down in front of her. And she said, what's that for? And I pulled up a chair right up close to her. I looked her in the eye and I said, I hope I can get through this. I said, but I want you to know that I love you. You were a good mother to us, and I don't hold anything against you for the way we were raised. I told her, I know you didn't have good choices. I know that you had a hard life, and I understand that, and it makes me appreciate all the more what you did. And two weeks later, she died. So thankful that I had that time. You may not have that time. Take it. Let self be hid so that the grace of God can step between you, your bitterness, and compassion. <clears throat> Somebody like to read this for me? Here, read. Can you see it? Sure. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 113. We should not think that unless those who have injured us confess the wrong, we have, that we are justified in withholding from them our forgiveness. It is, it is their part, no doubt, to humble their hearts by repentance and confession, but we are to have a spirit of compassion towards those who have trans trespassed against us, whether or not they confess their faults. <clears throat> Is that hard to do? Yes. Yeah. However sorely they may have wounded us, we are not to cherish our grievances and sympathize with ourselves or with somebody else in theirs over our injuries. But as we hope to be pardoned for our offenses against God, we are to pardon all who have done evil to us. I would dare say that it is a life and death matter. Here are some misconceptions regarding forgiveness. We think that forgiving lets the offender off the hook. Is that true? I'm just going to read these because this came from the, um, the same article. It says, to forgive someone who has hurt you doesn't mean you're letting that person off the hook. It doesn't mean you're excusing that person for their offenses, his offenses. It doesn't mean that you're completely over what has been done to you. It simply means, catch this, you are setting yourself free from that person's emotional hook. That person who has hurt you or those people who have wronged you, and I know pastors deal with this because their churches hurt them. Pastors hurt the congregation. There's just a world of pain out there. And so I may have stepped away, but, but that bitterness that my mother held was like a hook holding me. You understand? Forgiveness means that you are setting yourself free from the control of that situation. Number two, a misconception is that we can forgive only when we stop hurting. No. 
I believe you start experiencing true freedom when you start letting go. Right? Like, like Jed shared the very first day. He wasn't going to grow anymore in his experience until he could forgive that friend of his who slept with his girlfriend. Until you can step over this line, you cannot advance. And the, the way the sanctification runs in the life, sanctification is a daily matter. The Lord brings you to these hurdles. I call it a hurdle or a wall. Okay, now we're going to deal with this one. Then once you get through that one, he's going to say, now we're going to get you through this one. But until we get through this one, we can't make it to the next one. Do you understand? Okay, so we may not stop hurting for a long time. But by withholding your forgiveness, you are saying, I'm choosing to hold on to this pain. Anybody want to hold on to pain? No? We do hold on to it. Well, we don't realize we're holding on to it, but we are. Number three, we think we must first receive an apology. Forgiveness is difficult enough. <laughs> we may never receive that apology. I took care of my father-in-law, who was a paraplegic. I was 23 years old when he came to live with me. I had a, a baby, and I was his sole care provider. I took care of his catheters. I took care of his decubitus ulcers. I bathed him. I did everything for him. And one day, um, <laughs> well, he, um, he said some things that kind of made me mad. <laughs> Here I'm taking care of him in my house. I'm doing all of this for him. And I've got a baby. I still have my own life. I'm a wife, a mother, all of this. And here I'm supposed to be at his every beck and call. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, -a I need you over here. Ding-a-ling-a-ling -a over here. And so one day I just said this. I said, you are a selfish old man. And it's like instantaneous conviction comes from heaven. <laughs> Stab me right in the heart. And I ran into my room and I fell on the bed and I said, Lord, forgive me. Why do I have this? Why do I do this? And he says, well... It's called resentment. R-E-S-E-N-T-M-E-N-T. -E -E and if that was a Mickey Mouse club, you could do it that way. <laughs> resentment. And I thought, really? I mean, the Lord spelled it out to me what my problem was. And he said, Jody, resentment is sin. And it will keep you out of the kingdom. So let's work on it. So he gave me the gift of repentance, and I confessed my sin to him, and I went in to make it right with George. And I went in very humbly. Humbly, okay? I said, Grandpa, I'm so sorry that I, that I called you a selfish old man. I, I, I'm so sorry. And this is what he said to me. Well, that's all right, sis. Everybody has a bad day now and then. <laughs> but I did not receive an apology. He did not acknowledge any part of, of it, but he was willing to let me carry it all. So don't wait for that. You may never get it. We're afraid that we won't be able to forget. I will always remember always remember but I don't have to carry that pain I will always remember but I don't have to hurt right and number five we think we must resume the relationship now I'll tell you that by God's grace many relationships have been healed through forgiveness but there are some who you may never be able to reconcile with, but you can forgive. You can let it go and let God deal with that person. You can pray for that person, but you have released yourself from the burden of that bitterness. Forgiveness is not what we do for others. 
It is what we do for ourselves so that we may get well and move forward. What about when you can't forgive yourself? Say, my sin is too great. Well, Steps to Christ, page 52, says, Jesus loves to have us come to him just as we are, sinful, helpless, dependent. We may come with all our weakness, our follies, our sinfulness, and fall at his feet in penitence. It is his glory to encircle us in his arms of love, to bind up our wounds, and to cleanse us from all impurities. So when you feel like you cannot forgive yourself, you must accept his forgiveness for you. Accept his forgiveness. Often our, our past is going to come back. Those wrongs that we have done will come back to our mind. Remember, where's the battle? It's right here. The devil's going to bring that back. What do you say when that happens? I gave you some tools yesterday. What do you say? You can't answer. What do you say? Together. I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now that's one you guys need to memorize. In fact, if you've been writing down these Bible verses, your assignment is to memorize every single one of them. <laughs> Plus those statements. <laughs> Zechariah 3, verses 4 through 7 says, Look, I have caused your iniquity to pass from you. He says, Look, I've done it already. I have taken that sin away. Don't let it get you down again. It's not there. The guilt is not there. Remember the exchange? I took that and I gave you mine. But if you want it back, you can have it anytime. Don't take it back. It's not yours. It belongs to Jesus. Amen. Right? Micah 7.19, I love. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and cast all our sins to the depths of Lake Superior. And that's pretty deep, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and it's cold, and nobody wants to go down there to dig it up. Steps to Christ, page 52. Here is where thousands fail. They do not believe that Jesus pardons them personally, individually. They do not take God at his word. It is the privilege of all to comply with the conditions to know for themselves that pardon is freely extended to every sin, for every sin. But how can I forgive when it hurts so much? Again, you may have been rejected by a parent. You may have faced a divorce that left you alone with your children to raise and to care for by yourself. You may have been abused as a child. You may have anything taken advantage of, robbed. All of those things cause us pain. But without me, you can do nothing. It is grace. That's what grace is. It steps between you and your pain and helps you to let it go. So without me, you can do nothing. How can I forgive my fathers when I'm holding on to this pain? It's only through the grace of God. He says, let me, let me fight for you. Let me fight for you because he's never, won a, he's never lost a case that has been committed to his care. Jesus on the cross, I died for this. Did Jesus have a reason to be angry? You look at the history of Israel. How often was he rejected? How often did they play the harlot? commit adultery. He faced it all. He was bruised, battered, abused, spat on so that he could say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. If you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, now, when do you need to go and ask for forgiveness? Is that a hard thing to do? Sometimes it is. Because you have to humble yourself. You have to swallow your pride and go to that person and confess what you did. Acknowledge your guilt. Don't just say, I'm sorry. For what? I mean, he'll come to me and he'll say, I'm sorry, honey. I'll say, for what? Wives, you do that, right? For what? Tell me. Why are you sorry? But I have had to go to this man here and ask for his forgiveness in tears. 
or some of the ways that I've treated him. And it's humbling. We don't want to admit that we have any part to do with the problems in our life. But when you do it, there's such a ah moment. That pain is gone. You have relief. That's what forgiveness does for you. Leave your gift. You can't even go before the Lord until you go and make it right with your brother. Leave your gift. Go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Because then you come clean. My dad... Danny and I never had the opportunity to know him. And I'll tell you what, and I'm not being boastful here, he really missed out on not knowing us. We missed out. My grandmother missed out. You know how precious grandmothers are. I would have loved to sit with my mammal and hear her tell me old stories about living up on the mountain. You know, I found this picture. It was a gift card or one of those postcards, and it had this very mountain hick people you know, on a little old cabin. I thought, that's probably what my, my family is, you know, living in the hills of Arkansas. My Aunt Vernell took me to where they lived. And it was. <laughs> but, you know, and she took me to where their, their grave site was. And it's like, wow, Lord, missed out on so much. We all did because of selfishness. Am I bitter about him? No, not anymore. It's not worth it. It's not worth my health to hold it in. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which were behind and reaching forth to those things which are ahead. We have so much more ahead of us. God has taken us to places around the world to preach the gospel we were in the Philippines, and, and these pastors would pick someone from our team. Okay, you're going to preach tonight. You're going to go over there to that church and preach. And I was selected to go by myself from the city, away from the rest of our team. I didn't, he didn't even get to go with me, and I had to go to another church, the very first Filipino church established in the islands, Adventist Church. And I had to preach before those people. I would never have had that opportunity. But God had a plan for my life. I'm going to take this little girl who stood along the fence line, who's last to be chosen, who just has her head down like this. I know it's God, I'm going to be last. And I'm going to put her up before thousands of people to preach the gospel. And he's changed my life. I'm standing up before you guys. Not because it's like, oh, I just want to stand up before you guys. But no, because he said, Go and tell what great things Amen. I have done for you. Amen. And I'll tell you what, what is happening also in my life by me sharing this with you, I'm getting victory. I'm overcoming him by the word of my testimony. Amen. And these things are personal, you know. It's not like everybody has to hear it. But If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Anyone want to be free? You want to experience true freedom? If you have a root of bitterness in your heart today, take some time after this seminar and pray. Ask God to give you the grace that you need to let it go, let it go, let it go and ask him to fill you with a heart of compassion and love and to give you the opportunity to go to that person and tell that person, I forgive you. And then whatever happens after that, leave it up to him. Leave it up to the Lord. He's the one who directs our steps, right? We cooperate with him in that. Lord Jesus, Thank you so much for your grace that is stronger than our bitterness. Help us each one, Lord, as we wrestle with you on some of these very personal, very difficult circumstances in our lives, that you will give us victory.
And as we continue our walk with you, Lord, that we can overcome anything as we stay connected to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.